Hello and welcome back to the 33rd episode of the T-Druff, the Film Buff Podcast. We're going to see how long I can go today. We got a pretty bad cold. Um, had this for the last couple days and I don't know that I'm going to be able to talk for much longer without losing my voice. Because that's what happens over a long uh, Thanksgiving break with a bunch of alcohol, a bunch of food that ain't so good for you. Um, but let's, I mean, honestly, there's really not much news with Thanksgiving break anyway, so going to get a couple of reviews going, um, a couple of TV show recaps, and then we're probably going to call it quits. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Mandalorian, uh, the fourth episode, came out on Friday, of course. The um, thing I loved about that episode was that it was just like straight out of Kira Kurosawa's playbook. I mean, this was like the most quintessential samurai episode of something Star Wars yet. Um because, you know, the movies, George Lucas originally was inspired, apparently, by Kurosawa and some of the other samurai epics of the 50s and 60s. So it's really no surprise that, you know, John Favreau and um, Dave Filoni and director Bryce Dallas Howard on this episode kind of took from those movies and anything uh, came out back in the early days of George Lucas' Star Wars and kind of put together in one episode because... You know, it's not like they have seven people or you know, seven cowboys or seven samurai, kind of like those movies. Um, but certainly the Mandalorian and uh, Gina Carano's character. Um, of course, I can't even recall her character name as of now. Uh, but, but very much playing the same way that um, they did in Seven Samurai, where they're protecting a village um, that's kind of being hunted by ravagers, essentially. Um, and, you, you know, you get further development with, uh, Baby Yoda, because, you know, you think that perhaps, oh, there it is, Cara Dune, that's her name. I knew it kind of had something to do with, uh, her last name there. Um, but, uh, you get further development with Baby Yoda as, as the Mandalorian, kind of at the end of the episode, thinks that he's going to leave the, uh, the child there, and, he's better off but then you know of course they have the one last assassin at the end trying to kill them both uh, and then thinking okay well maybe he's better off with me kind of what we uh, expected all along um but the other thing i i loved about this this episode is that the, the set location i don't know where they filmed this it was absolutely gorgeous and it's kind of refreshing because you know, as good as the cgi is and the green screen is in this show uh it's nice to have that real location where you know it's not just the ground that they're filming on and then green screening the sky. It's like I, I'm almost positive everything that they filmed or everywhere they filmed this this last episode was real. Uh, perhaps aside from the actual uh, flying scenes with the the spaceship there. Uh, but yeah, I, I am really starting to dig the show. I like I said, the second episode was kind of a letdown for me. I just I was hoping. I don't know. I think that the timing of the episode kind of brought me down a bit. It's like I wanted more than 25 minutes with these characters every week. But the last couple episodes certainly have uh, have been increased in time-wise and, and, and certainly in quality. So uh, definitely excited to, to get back into it this coming Friday. Uh, another ep uh, episode of TV that I watched over Thanksgiving break, I actually watched it a couple times, was the... Uh, the Arrow episode, the sixth episode of the last season, season eight. Um, 
this episode was interesting because you, you know you have the actual structure of the episode feels very similar to Groundhog Day and Edge of Tomorrow and the Legends of Tomorrow episode Here We Go Again where Zari is uh, you know stuck in a time loop it's, it's very similar to that um, and and I can't say that it does anything totally original you know Oliver's stuck in a time loop obviously the um, uh, the harbinger Lila is behind it of course the monitor is there as well um, but you, you, like every episode of the season, you're just kind of wondering, like, okay, what is Oliver doing here? What is the point of what he's, like, where he is? Is there some ultimate meaning behind this? Should we be uh, question this even further? Is there some last second twist? You know, everything like that. And there really isn't any sort of last second twist at all. Um, but I love the reveal that this was ultimately just a test. And yes, we figured it was a test in some way, but I love the reveal that this is a test that is is trying to tell Oliver that he has to accept his fate, uh, uh, his death. Ultimately, his death will be in the crossover episodes, uh, I would assume, and um, that as much as he's trying to change the fate of the characters in the time loop, uh, as much as he's trying to save Quentin, who of course has been dead for almost two seasons now, uh, he can't change his fate, and ultimately, uh, the sacrifice needs to be made. And I thought that that was very powerful, and it, it I almost kind of wish that this was the last episode before the big crossover. I know it's like, oh, you have one last mission. Of course, he wakes up in the island with his whole crew there, uh, which I'm sure will be good enough on its own. Like, I'm sure we're going to feel the weight of that moment on its own. Um, but I, I just love that lasting feel of like no i mean as much as you want to change it you're gonna die and, and uh that's kind of what this show's been leading towards for eight seasons right i mean oliver it's like every superhero you know show or movie it's like how long can i do this you know how long will the city need me uh how long will the city want me or really how long is my lifespan you know like back in season uh i think it was season three of arrow uh, there were moments, yeah, it was definitely the back half of season three, I remember this, because it was that whole thing where he became Ra's al Ghul, and, you know, he, he was basically telling Diggle at one point, like, I don't want to die down here in, in the, the, the lair, uh, in the, the foundry, as they call it. Um, and I, I always found that really impactful at the time. Of course, the last couple of seasons of Arrow have been more than disappointing. They've been pretty bad, to say the least. Um, but I really, really enjoyed that lasting feel of you can't change your fate, bro. Uh, this is uh, this is it for you. And uh, whether or not they stick with that death, whether or not you know, perhaps they make a last second change. The, uh, the all the heroes of the crossover, which is what like 50, 50 superheroes that are gonna be in this thing. Um, maybe they pull some last second, you know, three pointer at the end, and they bring Oliver out of it. But maybe there's another sacrifice that needs to be made. I, I do worry about my boy Diggle. Um, just because we haven't really heard from him much in the in the future storyline, I don't think it's been confirmed whether or not he's living or dying. Maybe he makes the ultimate sacrifice and brings Oliver out of this, uh, you know, no way out scenario, and, and he makes the sacrifice himself. I really have no idea. Um, how will the villain play into the crossover? Like, how is the anti monitor um, gonna play? Like, does he just have a bunch of drones or something? Like, you know, the the, the villains are gonna have to have. You know, some sort of big team. Otherwise, you know, there's not... It's not going to be anybody to fight for all the legends that are in it. 
Supergirl characters, the Flash characters, you know, everybody. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. But that's Arrow, that's Mandalorian. Let's get into the uh, couple of new movies that I saw over Thanksgiving break. Of course, I rewatched the Veronica Mars movie. I rewatched Wild Rose. Um, I've been rewatching some more Game of Thrones. No shock there. Um, but uh, I did see some new 2019 releases over Thanksgiving break. One of them being 21 Bridges. So a movie that um, basically had one trailer. That was it. I remember it playing in front of a lot of movies over the summer. Um, I always thought it looked okay. It looked like a decent action film, of course, produced by the Russo brothers, Joe and Anthony Russo. So you had, I had some confidence there that this was going to be um, at least something solid. It didn't need to be great. Um, you know, maybe something like the John Wick movies, where they're really not great movies, um, but they are entertaining as hell to watch. Um, and yeah, Chadwick Boseman is, is, is an absolute star. I don't know how much box office draw he has, considering this movie didn't do all that well. Uh, I think it did enough. I think it made like $10 million in its opening weekend. Um, but let's see if it did uh, latest weekend. Let's see if it even cracked the top 10 here. Yeah, it, it came in at number 6 uh, with $5.8 million, which is only a 37% drop, which is actually very, very good. Um course this is only the three-day weekend um and not the five-day let's look let's look at the five-day here because 21 bridges came okay 7.9 so essentially another 8 million uh i think that's let's let's take a look if they have the budget here on on um uh, box office mojo doesn't look like they have the budget but it's already made 22 million i can't imagine this thing costs more than 30 uh with marketing i'm saying so uh, I think it'll probably just about break even when it's all said and done. And honestly, it has just enough twists and, and turns for you to keep yourself entertained for a good uh, hour and 50 to two hours there. Uh, I was I was really appreciating all the twists and turns. Maybe almost too many at the end. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you may know what I'm, I'm saying there. Um, but uh, the, I thought the action scenes were really well shot, especially there's a foot chase uh, in it that is that is awesome to watch most of it's shot at night anyway because it's um you know it's like a you're on the clock as soon as the movie starts it's pretty much you're on the clock uh and i love that the the robbers were were kind of developed they're not two-dimensional there's a little bit more depth to them uh of course um taylor kitsch is is one of them and god who played the other one it's also a, a relatively known actor as well he was in a race um as well as was he in oh yeah Stephen james yeah he was in homecoming as well um and selma and if beale street could talk and race yeah this, this guy's a good actor man he's gonna be around for a while um so i was really impressed by him as well um that was 21 bridges let's let's move on to uh let's go to honey boy first because i want to get to the the movies that i loved the most the, the last two um honey boy was solid uh, if anybody's seen the trailers, it's really essentially Shia LaBeouf's story. Uh, you know, he plays his own father. It's it's essentially a story growing up as a, a young actor, his father being very, very forceful and pushy, um, abusive at times. Uh, tough to watch. Tough movie to watch. Very interesting, though. Uh, it, certainly just, I mean, you can you can kind of view this as is sort of a Hollywood as a whole in terms of young child actors, of course, 
Of course, I'm not saying all the parents are like this, um, but certainly just the aspect of, you know, the kid is essentially driving the income for probably most of these families, right? Um, so I always think about the, the two kids. I mean, they've had more than two kids, but the two kids who, who play Judith on Walking Dead, the two daughters, the twin daughters for what? It's been like four or five years. And then, of course, last season they did the time jump. So Judith is older, played by Kaylee Fleming. Um, but the two twin daughters who played them for like four or five years uh, just as like a baby, an infant, it was, um, you know, it's like, I don't know how much they're going to pay for that, but it's like they're just renting out their daughter for hours upon hours in the summers. And it, it's interesting. It's like, I, I don't, I don't know how that works. It, it's got to be a weird dynamic. Of course, the kid is not getting paid. It's going to the parents. You can't make money as a kid until a certain age. Um, or it goes to the parents at least at the start. Um, and of course, Mary Kate and Ashley were in this similar situation. Perhaps that led them down some darker paths as they moved on. They're in a good position now, but it's, it's got to be a weird thing. Um, and certainly Honey Boy plays on that a lot. Um, yeah, no, and Noah Juppé is, is a really, really good young actor. So much like Stephen James, Noah Juppé is going to be around for quite a long time. He was great in Ford v. Ferrari in his very small role, even better in Wonder, uh, alongside Jacob Tremblay a couple years ago. That was one of my favorite movies of 2017. Um, so, no, Honey Boy is, is very solid. I don't really know if it's good enough to be an Oscar contender, other than maybe a, a screenplay nomination. Uh, I would actually prefer Shia LaBeouf get nominated for Peanut Butter Falcon. I thought he was much better in that. Not that he's bad in Honey Boy. He's very good. Um, but stand out in Peanut Butter Falcon is long, uh, along with, um, uh, gosh, the young actor as well. Gosh, why am I missing all these names today? My God, Dakota Johnson, of course, and Zach Godsigan. That's the word. That's the name I was looking for. That movie was something special, and I really hope it still gets uh, some praise come Oscar season. I think there's a lot there that um, that the Oscar voters can can look at for for nominations certainly let's move on to knives out because knives out is simply one of the best movies i've seen all year one of the one of the most simply entertaining films like that was just like my, when i saw it with my sisters they came out and they just said it was pure fun uh, and i couldn't agree more it was like and it, i thought it was like the perfect movie to, to watch on thanksgiving weekend too right because everybody's trying to escape from their family dinner tables when there's politics being talked about well why not just go see it all happen on the big screen with knives out with an ensemble cast yet uh michael shannon you had daniel craig of course chris evans anya de armas um god who else jamie lee curtis Don Johnson, Tony Collette was also in it, Lakeith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer, Catherine Langford, Jaden Martell. I mean, there was just, man, there is, this cast was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and of course, apparently, I didn't hear this, but apparently Joe Scord-Levitt had like a small audio cameo in the movie. I would love to go back and watch it just for that. Um, but the thing I love about Knives Out is that, I mean, it keeps you on the edge of your toes from beginning to end. You can't, you will not be able to predict a single thing that really happens. I was sitting there trying to, to come up with the actual solution. 
And I knew that there was a certain scene that happens earlier on that I knew, okay, that has to play into it at the very end of the movie, no matter what. It would be weird if it doesn't. Of course, it kind of goes away for a while to make you forget about it, and I actually did forget about it for a little bit. I'm being vague on purpose here. Uh, and then, of course, it does inevitably come back at the end for a last-second reveal kind of and man, oh man, you think that's ending and then it's not. You think, okay, that was a satisfying ending. Like, oh no, no, no. We got an even more satisfying ending for you because wow, those final final shots, that final scene, the final line, uh, the final just the look on the person's face and what that person is holding for the finale. God. I I almost want to call this movie a masterpiece. Uh, it's going to get a high nine for me, probably mid to high nine, 9.5 ish movies, endlessly entertaining. I'm so happy for Ryan Johnson who got so much shit for the last Jedi, including some for myself. Um, but I do really love 80% of that movie. As I've always said, I love 80% of it. The other 20% get the hell out of my movie, my movie. I'm talking entitled like these people online trying to make petitions. Um, but no, a knives out is 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 fun for the full the whole family I should say, full family because you would be kind of full on Thanksgiving if you were seeing this movie, uh, and and yes, yeah, standout performances. I, I it's worth noting Anya de Armas. I think this is probably her first actual starring role. Um, of course, she has been in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. She's going to be in No Time to Die next year. Um, she's going to play Marilyn Monroe next year. Like big things coming for Anya de Armas. Uh, and I can't wait to see, uh, where she goes in her career because she is very, very good. Uh, and I would even say it's not going to get Oscar nominations for acting, but if you had to, I would give one to her. Uh, but it's just too packed this year for, for, for lead actress. I don't think that, I don't think she really has any chance. Like it's, it's, it's the Judy Garland movie with Renee Zellweger. It's Scarlett Johansson. Um, those two movies for sure. Gosh, I mean, just the, the year for my brain to go fried right when I'm supposed to be pulling up. I mean, you could even say that something like uh, Scarlett Johansson may get nominated for Jojo Rabbit as well. Um, I thought any of the actresses in Parasite were well worthy of it. Um, God, man. Good, good stuff all around. Uh, Knives Out was fantastic. Let's move on to The Irishman. Just watched this movie yesterday, three hours, 30 minutes. Had to make sure I had that time set aside to watch this with minimal interruptions. And I absolutely did. And the movie was very good. Uh, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's a masterpiece. Uh, I don't think it's a, a classic. Like, um, I mean, maybe it will become a classic, right? Uh, maybe on rewatch, it'll feel more like a classic. But the thing I loved about this movie is that it's not trying to be Goodfellas or Casino with uh, the mob element, right? I did think the mob element was probably the most interesting part of the movie. Like, everything with Jimmy Hoffa was was entertaining because Al Pacino is very good, but I could take or leave the, the whole union stuff, and it, it doesn't interest me at all. The, the gangster and mob stuff, Hitman, all that, that stuff is way more fascinating to me to watch on screen than anything that, you know, Jimmy Hoffa is doing. Uh, in real life during this time, uh, at least that that's to me. Um, but like I said, it's not trying to be uh, casino or Goodfellas. It's it's a meditative. It's a reflective. As DiCaprio has said, I, I looked this up, but he has said it plays like a eulogy, and and, and it really is. 
Um, it, it's like the last breath of, of what you're going to get uh, in a mob-type movie from Pacino, from De Niro, probably from Scorsese. Then, you know, they're getting up there. I don't know how much, how many more movies they have. The de-aging was good, but the only problem I had, so, right, the movie kind of begins in the late 1950s, pretty much 1960, we'll say, right? Uh, so Frank Sheeran, who, Al, uh, not Al Pacino, who De Niro is playing, uh, is the hitman turned bodyguard for Al, uh, Jimmy Hoffa. So, right, he is born in real life in 1920, which means when this movie begins, uh, he's supposed to be 40 years old. The de-aging for De Niro is good, but it makes him no younger than, like, 55, right? It just took me out of it for a little bit when I'm like, I know he's not 40 right here. And it's not like they're saying, like, oh, Frank Sheeran, age 40, 1960. They're not saying that. Like, you're only knowing this if you look this up. Um, but it, it, they almost play it like he's a young man and just wanting to start like a new career after being out of the war. I don't know. I mean, it, it, that part of it was like, I need to get past this. I need to get to the later years so the aging uh, doesn't bother me as much. And certainly when we get to the later years and Pacino and De Niro are having more scenes together, it's it's really, really cool to see. Uh, and Scorsese, of course, brings his A game. I just love the opening shot. I love the final shot. Um yeah, I, I really, really loved a lot about this movie. I didn't think it needed to be three hours and 30 minutes, right? It could have been like 250. Could have been like, you could have taken out 35 to 40 minutes, maybe cut out one or two very side characters. Harvey Keitel probably didn't need to be in this movie. It was cool seeing him in it, though, uh, after his history with Scorsese, uh, going, what, all the way back to to uh, Taxi Driver? Or was he in Mean Streets as well? I can't even remember now. Um uh, but yeah, there's history there. There's history with De Niro. No history with Pacino. Isn't it crazy that this was the first movie Pacino and Scorsese did together? Um, but all in all, uh, it's it's just a very fascinating movie to watch. Uh, the last 25 minutes I thought was probably the best part of the movie. Um, no spoilers, but it, it's, it's a much calmer finale than I thought I was getting into. And I really appreciated that. So uh, that's The Irishman. Uh, not much movie news, but I guess, you know, Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad will both be rated R. We knew that. Like, why am I even transitioning from the Irishman to those two pieces of news? Like, who cares about that compared to the frickin' Irishman? Um, but anyway, we, kind of, we we knew that. We knew they were going to be rated R. That's not even news, but that's really the only news that I even really made note of during the, the holiday week there. There's nothing coming out. Holiday, Hollywood kind of shuts down even more so in uh, Thanksgiving week than, than it does during Christmas week. Uh, and as I, I knew that cause I was there in Hollywood last year at this time. Um, let's see here. I guess the last thing I was going to mention was how I felt about Notre Dame season this year. I haven't really talked about Notre Dame that much other than that week that I did go to South Bend and see them play. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I was thinking about it after the, the game against Stanford where they kind of took over in the second half, which is what they've been doing most of the year. You know, they, they've had, they have not had great first halves, and they'll just they'll put the pedal to the metal in the second half, which I'm perfectly fine with. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was... Ian Book really stepped it up the last four games. It made me want him to come back next year. I don't know that it's realistic at all. I almost feel like Notre Dame's going to want to move in the Phil Yurkovich direction. We'll see. 
Um, but I really, really loved his performance in the last four games. I thought it was the, maybe the best football he's ever played. Three straight ten win seasons. You can't, you can't, you can't count that that as is not being a great stretch of period of time. Like the seniors that that are there right now, and even the the juniors. Great run. I mean, just a great run overall. I don't know what bowl game they're going to be in. I keep hearing Camping World Bowl. I don't know what that even means. The names of the bowl games are just absolutely ridiculous now. I just kind of hope that it's uh, that it's not against Alabama. That's what I tweeted out, and I really, really hope to God it's not against Alabama. I don't need to see another beatdown again. Uh, but I think that's the show. That's the show this week. Uh, again, happy Thanksgiving. Did I even say that last week? Who gives a shit? Uh, we're on to Christmas now. We got three weeks away, uh, and we are full fledged into Oscar season. We'll see what movies I have seen by next week. That's it. That's the show. Thanks, and we'll see you next week on the T Drop the Film Buff podcast.